0: I'm Justine Murphy, and welcome to this fortnight's My Mu Bueno Women in Business podcast. It is... The last episode of our first season. How exciting is that? Uh, Season one, episode 12, finale day. Here we are. Um, Wow, that came around pretty fast. I hope you have all been enjoying uh, every episode leading up to today. And we've got a really exciting, very inspirational guest. I've got someone very special uh, sharing with you and uh, I think it's going to be a very perfect way to finish and wrap the season and uh, we're going to be talking all about delegation today, uh, recognizing when it's time to get some help in your business, recognizing and that might not just be in regards to taking on an employee, it could be recognizing when you just need to, you know, stop doing something yourself that's taking um, Uh, taking you a whole load of time when you should be pushing your putting your time into clients and bringing business in and generating revenue not doing kind of menial things that you could be paying someone else to do or trying to struggling with things like you know trying to manage your website on your own and recognizing it's time to pay someone to do that job for you Um, so yeah delegation is the topic today but before we kind of jump head first into that uh where are we? We're still in lockdown. <laughs> Here in London. Yeah, nothing much has changed in that respect. It's actually been a very very hard last two weeks. I kind of had a few wobbles. Um and it's been uh yeah, uh, it's difficult. It really is. It's kind of uh, you know, it's it's there's a lot going on at the moment. I'm trying to you know, navigate through it and navigate my team through it. I'm being there for all my clients all the time. I'm constantly giving myself to everyone. And obviously, you know, as a mummy and looking after my boys and making sure I'm spending the quality time with them. And then um, obviously, you know, my my time with my husband and relationship there, and then obviously, and just with all the wheels and, and things turning, it's just a lot of pressure a lot of stress and then when kind of things happen it's just you know for me I'm i I'm an all or nothing person so and and I'm I'm basically all (laughs) Um, in terms of everything I'm always you know I jump in at the deep end and I get my feet wet and I just crack on Um, it's you know the only way for me to be and it's how I handle things and um and yeah so you know when a few things kind of happen it just sets it it makes me feel a little bit unstable I guess so you know I don't feel like I'm on solid ground or solid footing and I guess that's kind of a lot of what's going on at the moment in this COVID world you know um you know those of you who are also like me with children and trying to to keep the wheels turning and doing everything while on lockdown with all of the pressures that that those constraints are having and the impacts that's having um you know on a, me- a mental health and emotional health of the people around you and then the impact of that on yourself and recognizing once again going right back to why self care is so important um you know so i found myself really kind of being quite affected by you know, I, I and my cup being very empty from giving so much of myself to so many other people and helping everyone else at this time, but actually not filling my cup at all. And, you know, a big part of that was I haven't been able to, you know, other than going, boom, you know, dinner on the table, everyone eat and then cracking back on again. I haven't been, you know, doing the things that make me happy. I haven't, you know, done my painting. I haven't had chance to be, you know, making lots of my, doing my baking and doing all my bits on my Instagram. In fact, I've kind of been quite quiet on my Instagram story lately you know, because I can't be me if I'm not feeling like me. And I can't force that either. Um, you know, for me, it's got to always come from a, a real place and a true place. Otherwise, I'm not being real with with you or with myself. So I've just had to kind of retreat really. And um, yeah, just give myself the time I needed, have a couple of really good early nights, let my body heal, uh, you know, mind, body and spirit just kind of uh, to replenish and restore and recuperate um, and, you know, uh, take that time, you know, enjoying the times in the mornings that I'm having at the moment with all the the uh, being, you know, fit and healthy. I've just been eating and obviously cooking from the My Bueno cookbook, um, you know, constantly. So therefore like no takeaways or going out to eat. And that's meant I've, between that and, you know, reducing my portion sizes and, drinking more water and doing exercise. I've now lost five kilos um, and I'm feeling way more like me again in terms of fitting in things I haven't worn for ages. So that's been a real kind of boost in itself. Um, So yeah, cooking, having loads, I had obviously January was alcohol and meat free as well. Not that I drink much wine or anything nowadays anyway. I seem since since babies, I seem to have have one glass of even the best wine and get a headache immediately. Um, But just in general with my looking after my well-being throughout all of this um and keeping that in check and his his having you know a, a massive benefit on me um you know physically and then of course mentally and that helps strengthen everything else so yeah it's been um really difficult and then while going through all of that and having kind of an upheaval of emotions and everything else but still the wheels need to keep turning and still things need to be happening so um and then having to pick myself up and and still crack on because when it's your business then you know you have you, you, you there's no you know no one else can do it for you um so yeah I think. Um, uh yeah feeling kind of feeling in a in a better stronger place and speaking of delegation you know recognizing i need to take someone else on to be able to help me better uh with kind of the you know all the different projects i've got ongoing at any one time and um alleviate some of my load um better so yeah delegation is the uh name of today's the topic for today and before we kind of delve into um, today's guest so kind of my input on this I mean for me you know right back in the very beginning of my muy bueno when I first started so it's December 2011 so obviously 2012 I was still working on yachts as a as a chef and and kind of back and forward between doing freelance and still keeping the money coming in and then kind of realizing I couldn't do both I had to be here um uh, and be in the business you know properly to be able to make it work um so then it was the next year it was when I you know the deli first year the deli you know I kind of got someone took someone on to help me and give me a hand um uh and then from there it was really the chef agency kind of and having seth really so it's kind of year late into year two or even year three i guess he was born june 2013 so we're talking like yeah yeah two years in two and a half years um i was at that point still doing then everything myself um you know just having minimal help where i really needed it in the deli but um everything else was all me and um, obviously handling my accounts and handling you know the website and this and this and this like like we all do like you do in the beginning when it's your business and it's just you doing everything Um, but because as the agency started to grow and I was you know literally up all night I so I had Seth who the doctor when he was born he he pulled him so hard uh, when he delivered him, uh, uh, you know, just was completely negligent in how he delivered him by just yanking him and yanking him and yanking him um, until he, he pulled his arm so much that he, he snapped two of his nerves inside his brachial plexus, rendering his entire arm paralysed and therefore disabled him. Um, and at that point, obviously the hospital quickly wrapped him up and we were pretty much sent on our way. They knew what they did. They just uh, weren't going to admit anything because of liability. Uh, so we were sent home with a with a baby with an arm like a piece of dead meat, just hanging. Um, and, you know, at the time, I remember, you know, we tried everything from taking Seth to the local, you know, to our pastor at our church, to be prayed over, to my buying rose quartz crystals, to having an acupuncturist come to our house, try and wake his arm up that's what they'd said It's just stunned on the way out and it's numb and it will come back to normal soon. Um, anyway, then my husband, after doing, like, doing all these different things, my husband then went back to working on his boat. He was on holiday leave and he had to go. So I was left on my own with a newborn baby of, you know, four weeks old with a, an arm that was hanging like dead meat. Meanwhile, having to do breast, you know, having to breastfeed and, um, and all the nappy changes and everything else. And I was running the business, running my business, um, you know, having to heavily rely on the girl I had for, you know, keeping deli orders running. At that time, we were just in um, um, like a sublet kitchen and, you know, it was whole cakes, bags of granola, jars of jam and chutney. So we had, you know, consistent orders coming in and at least then, you know, there was ample time to prepare and and handle the workload Uh, in advance as it were or advance notice Um, so but and it was the chef agency really by that year so I launched that the year before was really coming into its own and I was handling everything I was handling the invoicing I was handling all the vetting for the candidates um, uh, reference checks checking all their documents and of course then doing all the placement um, and then doing all of that kind of literally being up in the middle of the night working and working working um uh you know when we got kind of once I found um the herbs palsy group in the u k that's where I kind of had the realisation that this could be what Seth has, and they immediately said to go and get a second opinion in a different hospital, which I immediately did, and then sure enough, that's where I got the diagnosis of Herbs palsy or paralysis brachial in Spanish. And immediately, literally the very day of being there and the doctor diagnosed Seth, uh, he called in a, a physiotherapist, baby physiotherapist, and I was, yeah, booked in five o'clock every day to bring Seth um, and start physiotherapy um, exercises that both the Herbs Palsy Group gave me to do with him at every nappy change and then, of course, going to the hospital uh, every single day um, apart from a Sunday uh, to, do, had to have all his exercises done and stretching his arm out and doing all the things because otherwise, if we didn't move his arm for him, his muscles would start to um, deteriorate and we couldn't lose, you know... Uh, yeah he he could be left with nothing forever basically so that was kind of a huge part of my role as his mummy um making sure that I wasn't just feeding feeding him nurturing him um nappy changing doing all of these things but then it was the physiotherapy exercises as well while then running my business and um yeah it was a lot I remember and, and obviously no Paul and we don't have any family So it was a real, uh, and also it kind of made me grateful that we didn't have any family because knowing that the family that we had around us previously were not, uh, didn't really have our best interests at heart and weren't very nice people. um, So actually it was kind of a blessing in disguise really because, you know, what we didn't need at that time was to have anyone from the outside giving us extra stress or upset at a time that was already extremely hard so yeah my my goal my focus each day you know of course very grateful to my very best of friends who are family and they were there albeit all the way in England but just there at the end of the phone or a message away if I needed them but really it was just Seth and I um every single day you know it's just putting my feet on the on the ground and um and and getting to the end of the day and having no further expectations other than that, really. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Brings back a lot of emotions. So at the time though, it was crazy. And I think I was so focused in everything that I was doing. You know, it was really busy and ended up being my busiest, busiest year. Um, I I mean, just like back to back with bookings and I was just, just, placing them all really. And I think looking back at it now, it was a distraction. It was something that had it not been for that. And for me to put my, all my energy and all my time into, I mean, I think I would have probably crumbled, but I didn't. And it gave me uh, purpose. It gave me, re- you know, um, uh, it gave me st- stability and, and uh, keep kept my mind occupied at such a time. Um, and also the drive you know I had the drive in me I had I, I needed to do this I've got now you know this our situation is very much changed so we've not just come back with our newborn baby but he has this disability now and and how I'm going to navigate that and so on and so forth um, albeit at this time as well keeping it all very secret didn't tell anyone because obviously I had hope that you know it wasn't anything more than it, being stunned and it was going to wait his arm was going to wake up um so then coming to terms with the realization about things you know really hard um so yeah wow really really difficult um but then it was the realization and recognizing that I couldn't do it all and I couldn't couldn't uh, You know, I couldn't just survive on two or three hours sleep. My body was having to produce milk to feed my child, my baby. And um, if I ran myself into the ground so much that I wouldn't be any use to him. So I think that was the kind of biggest part. Um, And then I realized I I remember posting on my Facebook that I needed an administrator, um, an admin to help me. And it was actually um the person who kind of who, who jumped in and said, Oh, my sister lives in Mallorca. She could come and help. Uh, she was this um amazing individual who'd worked for me kind of 10 years prior when I used to be uh, an assistant restaurant manager in London for years, and she was one of my uh staff back then. So kind of, A, it was, wow, okay, well, you know, A, I knew her, I trusted her, and then if it was her sister, well, that's brilliant, and she lives in Mallorca already, so it's perfect. So basically, met with her, she was brilliant, um, kind of explained what I needed, which was, you know, someone to handle the the reference checking and the... um, uh, the reference checking and the the document checking, which is time consuming and taking me away from then actually putting my time into placing the jobs, um, and so I, and that was it. She was my first employee, um, and her taking on that responsibility was just a big weight lifted it was a huge weight lifted um because the enormity of it and and also the enormity of just how much you know at that point our database was growing and you know again i only had so many hours in the day to be putting into chipping away on candidate profiles and new profiles and giving that giving people that time on my time so by having her devoted only to that and bringing her skills and expertise and experience and being really good at that to focus on it it took me a little bit of time I remember being heavily pregnant uh, sorry heavily pregnant I remember being um uh um, with Seth and and uh yeah I remember bit, again going back to my perfectionism or slightly anal ways of things I think because I'd spent so many years of doing things myself it was um a learning lesson for me to be able to then delegate to her and realise that as long as the results came that I needed and the standards that I had implemented were being upheld, it didn't matter if she changed the method of how she got there if it was easier for her to do it a different way. Um, And that was a learning thing for me to let go. In fact, I think it was when... um, when I realised, you know, I was like, "Gosh, am I really? Am I? Am I? Am I micromanaging here?" And it was just, "Yes, yes, you are." <laughs> you know, sort of moment. And then, so that was a kind of a, a, a maturing stage for me in business of taking on someone and learning to not try and control everything all of the time, um, and. So, yeah, so she was just amazing and that was my first member of staff and, uh, you know, from there everything grew and my team grew over the years in the different areas that I really needed um, to get help in and get someone to handle that area and be better than me in it in order to... um, uh, uh, you know, and that's their only job and their only focus, meaning that my time then is freed up again to be focusing on building the business, taking, you know, launching the next division, taking, working towards my vision, looking after my clientele better, not saturating myself or my time so much. And then obviously having even more time to put in with my family and everything else. So, yeah, it's been um it's, you know, and it's all a journey, but I think recognizing for yourself when it is time to get someone um, on board to help you, you know, and it could be just part time or a couple of hours a week. And even then, you know, without committing, there's loads of amazing, you know, virtual online companies and individuals who offer their services that they can do, you know, to, for you when it comes to administration and so on and so forth. So uh, recognizing that, you know, when it's time and and how much more you will benefit for it, and how much more your business will grow and benefit for making such a decision. So that takes us quite nicely into our uh, our guest for our, our today, who is the absolutely fascinating and inspiring Serena Cook, who is the founder of deliciously sorted in ibiza and she shares today with you her really remarkable journey um i, I think yeah her, make sure you've got a nice cup of tea or something sat ready for this one because it's it's a really yeah she's she's just a real trailblazer and everything that she's done and she's accomplished and the um i mean it's extraordinary so Enjoy and uh, I'll catch you all after. Hi, Serena, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on.
1: it's such a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So um, for those that don't know your story
0: or about your amazing company, Deliciously sorted. Can you share with us um, a little bit about your journey as a woman in business and everything that kind of led you up? Because your your background is amazing. I was reading through your bio. It's massively inspiring. And I'm sure there's loads of things. There were loads of things I didn't know, like the fact that you even owned restaurants uh, and you've had an incredible background. So please, can you just enlighten and share a little bit of that with us today?
1: Absolutely. So the reason why Deliciously Sorted is called Deliciously Sorted is because my background is in food. And as you said, I owned restaurants. So the beginning, the first step in where I am today is actually having been sent to boarding school, which is something that I will come back to later. And I'm incredibly grateful for By being sent to this boarding school, one of my best friends who joined the school when I was 14 is South American. And she took me, invited me to stay with her when I was 15 to Peru. And I had never been to Central or South America. I had a very middle class went, had been lucky enough to go to Europe, had been to America once went to South America, this extraordinary world, and also where they spoke Spanish. And I didn't speak any Spanish at all. I, at the time, didn't like any of the food, which was coriander, ceviche, chili, papaya, all the things that I love today. Uh And even though I couldn't speak the language, these these incredibly warm people. And I came back to school and I was like, I want to learn Spanish. Wow. And it was two terms before my GCSEs. So I couldn't start Spanish then. So I did Spanish GCSE in the first year of my A-levels. And then I did the AS level in the second year. And I got a place at Bristol to read Hispanic studies wow with spanish okay so that's kind of number 1 in in my path because i speak fluent spanish right. and it does really help sure. and number 2 in my journey was because i fell in love with south america when the admissions uh, person at bristol said to me look you haven't done a level spanish so you should take a gap year and go to somewhere which speaks Spanish or a Spanish-speaking country. And I was like, great. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) No problem. And I actually ended up in Colombia with a girlfriend who was vegetarian. And in that time, all they ate in Colombia, many of the South American countries, was meat and rice. But Colombia has this, and obviously fish on the coastline, But it wasn't very much about vegetables or salads. And Colombia has an incredible coastline. And it also has loads of different climates. So everything grows. Wow! And at the time, her and I, you know, 19, we were like, it would be great to have a Mediterranean restaurant here. So then third year of bristol and in any english university if you study a language for the third part of the course the third year you have to go to a country where they speak that language okay so i went back to colombia i was teaching english in a bank and i obviously had a friend group from when i'd been there 3 years before and there was this site in the beautiful old town and there was this need to do a restaurant. And as they say that ignorance is bliss, and I was very naive, but not knowing that I was naive, I just had no fear. And it was like, okay, I'm going to open this restaurant. And it was my recipes I've always been a foodie my mother my grandmother incredible cooks Um, and I taught the recipes to Gloria who was also 21 when it opened and we do a menu del dia so a daily menu at a set price because it was in the old colonial part which was near the kind of Public works part. So we would get lots of government officials coming for the menu del dia. Amazing. And then at night, and this area is called the Candelaria. It's absolutely beautiful. It's wonderful. And it's cobbledy streets, and you go through a small door, and these massive properties open, and wow. the restaurant is stunning. Wow. And at night, then it was downtown. So all the bohemians used to live there. So we had this super kind of cool crowd, and it worked. Amazing. And I deferred finishing Bristol um, and spent another year there and then went back to finish Bristol and was going during the very conveniently long university holidays. I was back and forth. And then Columbia got very dangerous and I sold it. A bomb went off two streets from the restaurant. The the roof broke. um, And actually... If I hadn't sold it, then I'd be married with six children and a few (laughs) restaurants in Colombia. That would be your life forever. It would still be there now. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So so I'd finished university and I came back and I did three months at, this isn't in any of my bios. I did three months in Flemings because then I had an idea that I wanted to work in investment banking till I was 30, make loads of money. To set up a restaurant. Like restaurants were always my thing. Right. Anyway, I lasted three months. Um, Female in the city in those years. Like it was just, and obviously I am kind of entrepreneurial and it just didn't Didn't suit. Yeah. So then I came back and I worked for Oliver Payton, who had those massive 90s restaurants, like Mm. 400 people capacity. He had one called the Atlantic Bar and Grill, and I was event's assistant. Um, And again, all a a step towards what Deliciously Sorted does. Mm -hmm. Um, And also then he had another restaurant called Coast. Sometimes I would make chardis there. It was all restaurant, restaurant. And then a great friend of mine who'd been in Bristol at the same time as me said, I want to set up an organic restaurant. Will you do it with me, him wow. and his wife? And he is called, they are called Zach and Scheherazade Goldsmith, and their family are big ecologists. And he definitely introduced and educated me to the benefits of eating organic food. And he was like, You've got the know how from having had my, my restaurant, from the work with Oliver and we set up England's first certified organic restaurant wow which was amazing. an amazing amazing learning experience but it was too ahead of its time what year was
0: that when
1: so so that roughly... opened in 98 and right. closed in 2000 way ahead of its time then really yeah. I mean it's
0: only 10 years later everything everyone was catching up yeah. to finally embrace and understand all of that but yeah. wow what a like yeah. well able to even have to own that to say oh yeah. the first
1: ever I mean that's amazing yeah no it's 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 great and it's also a step towards my life here which I will come back mm. to later which is my charity but it was a if if you have a business that doesn't work, it teaches you so much more than a business that does work. Of and, and it was just too ahead of its time. And we'd set it up in Battersea because the biggest consumers of organic food then were mothers and babies. Mm. But I used to have to kind of like drag people off the street to say, you know, come in and have breakfast. It's like the same breakfast that you're going to have at home. It's just better for you, you know, and in the long time. It was anyway, and also organic food then in, in supermarkets was subsidized, but it was very expensive from the suppliers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So after, with much sadness and particularly for the kind of local community of mothers and children, I closed that in early and meanwhile, when I finished university, I had come to Ibiza the first time in 1997. And a friend of mine had said to me, you've got to go to Ibiza. You will love Ibiza. It's not, obviously, it's not like South America, but the attitude, um, you will just really love, it's kind of, it's vibe. Yeah. And so when I graduated Bristol, some friends of mine and I went, and we came in summer 97, we rented a house for six pounds per person a night. Oh my word, wow. <laughs> so it was 42 pounds for the week. Oh my goodness. Um, for me personally, and there were six of us sharing. So I mean, it was <laughs> nothing. Um, and it was up in the north between between San Juan and Cali Vicente yeah. and I had this like idyllic ten days in the beautiful north of the island. Didn't go to one club. Didn't even go to a beach town. I remember doing tons of cooking. I remember there was a fishmonger in the local village. It was beautiful, wow. and I was just I loved this place. And then I came back during during the it was called Delhi Organic, my organic restaurant. I remember. Once my mother like dragged me away because I hadn't had a holiday for literally like a year as you do, you know, those small businesses just like you need Always, to win.
0: all the time, all yeah.
1: in, <laughs> doing everything, doing the books after the, you know, the day to day. Anyway, had been back three times, closed Deli organic. This great friend of mine said to me, um, what are you going to do now? Why don't you come and spend the summer in Ibiza? And I was like, oh my god dream but i need to work and she was like i'll give you a job i've got three houses and i want i'm going to rent them and included in the rental i want them to have an amazing mediterranean lunch every day so i will include you as the chef breakfast and lunch actually and they'll pay the ingredients and I was like, but I'm not a chef. And she was like, but you're a foodie. And I've tasted your food and you can cook. And when she said, You've told me when the chef didn't turn up at Deli Organic, you cooked, because yeah. it was that type of business. Yeah,
0: you know, I didn't turn
1: Otherwise the doors would be closed. So she was like, Cut why don't you come and see the houses in February? Like flew me out. It was one of those February's like we're having now. Right. 20 degrees. She took me for lunch on the beach. And we hadn't even got to her house. And I was like, what Sold. am I thinking about? <laughs> yeah. so Amazing. I thought, okay, she's tasted my food. She made me do this like big tasting dinner. And I just thought, do you know what? I'm going to have a summer off. I'm being paid to be in Ibiza. Cooking the food I- you love. Cooking the food I love. And she's providing me with accommodation. Like... I will make my next career serious choice in September. Right, you know, mm. and I and I came out to Ibiza in May. Okay. So because I was in the kitchen of three houses, all the guests would say to me, and she's English, so a lot of the guests were English American. The guests would say, "Where's your favourite restaurant? Um, could you get me a, a a boat to go to Formentera?" Um, can you get tables at Pasha? I've crashed my car. Can you translate to the car hire company? Okay. And that's literally how it began, and that's why it's called Deliciously sorted, because deliciously because of the food background, and that I was cooking here yeah. and sorting at the same time.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: And people that I still work with today remember seeing me in the market buying the food but also being on the phone to Pasha saying (laughs) I need a table give me a table tonight amazing that's the amazing beginning Mm -hmm. and the the first so that was 2001 right and then then I said to then I said to her, Jade, she the owner of the hotels, which is uh, the owner. Sorry, the owner of the villas is called Jade Jagger. So she was quite a useful person for my reputation cool. because her clientele were very rock and roll, and it was it was it was all, all good. So then I said to her, I'm going to come back next year, but I'll freelance for you, and I'm going to set up the business right and because cooking is well paid as you know from you get paid per hour usually and it's a good pay per hour mm-hmm. the, the, the first summer of deliciously sorted and the second i was actually still cooking right while i went into this transition period i was being paid 30 euros an hour like yeah. six to eight yeah. hours for a meal yeah that's that's pretty good so It took off because I think Ibiza was an emerging destination. It was suddenly becoming, it had moved from hippie to bohemian. Mm. The fashion crowd were coming Mm. and Ibiza was a rough diamond and clients needed direction because they were like, oh, so-and-so told me about Ibiza, but where do I start? Right. You know? where's the like I'd have a lot of still now clients new clients like which beach should I be at you know and you're like well if you want this you go to this beach if you want this you go to that beach but then it was much more about as I say this rough diamond like I would say drive down that one kilometer hairpin bend dirt track with potholes and you will get to the best fish restaurant in Ibiza do not be put off yeah and that restaurant is now signed off the road, It's now tarmacked, and there's now a safety barrier wow. on the hair You That's know? So amazing. Oh, yeah. gosh. Wow. And we still send tons of clients there because it's still, incre- I still say it's top five. Wow. Um, so, and I think also, not only was it Ibiza was, was taking off, I got a lot of press because I think it was female entrepreneur mm. in this new cool kind of territory. Mm-hmm. I was 28 at the time and that the kind of press and the word of mouth, cool. that all helped in the, in the, in the transition or right. in the progression. Yeah, yeah, and amazing. it was already 2003, that my sister started to help me. Okay. She was like my first employee. As I said, I was still doing some cooking jobs. So she would, you know, obviously knows, is similar to me and knows me inside out. She would be doing some of the bookings. And then my, the next employee was 2004, Annabelle, who stayed with me for 11 years. Wow, So then... Then it started in terms of staff. We kind of every next year I would take on a new member of staff, right? So, yeah. pre pre COVID, yeah, the summer team is 17, right? And we've been going since 2002, and um, the annual team is 10. So, we right. pick up another seven for, for six Just months, of the a year. Hub of, yeah, From, the busy yeah. season. Yeah, um, and so we were doing concierge. It, it was it was kind of fixing then, it was sorting the name because concierge was also a, a newish term. Yeah. And then, of course, the next question was, do you do villas? Do you do villa rental? So I started to work with three local partners in about 2003, and then... One was by far the best. And from 2004, we formed a relationship where I would introduce houses and clients and we would then do the concierge for the whole company. Fantastic! So then we had two revenue streams, which was the concierge and the villa rental. And then 2005, we'd done events before, but 2005 was when we did our first wedding. Okay. So there's three revenue streams to the business, events, villas and concierge. And obviously talking to you today in 2021, I'm so pleased that I'm not just focused in one field mm-hmm. because, you know, last summer, I'm sure we'll come onto it a bit later. But last summer was what it was and this summer will what it be will be, but events has been decimated. Yeah. And at least having the villa rental and the concierge, you know, compensates and, and keeps the business running. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Same. Yeah. Totally. Exactly. Same with me. The different divisions. So grateful for that right now. It's, yeah, at this okay. time more than ever before. Yeah. So in terms yeah. of going back to when you first started, so it was, it was Annabelle was your your – the employee who was with you for 11 yeah. years, which yeah. is a massive asset. So that's, I mean, you obviously at that point recognized you were starting to really grow and how invaluable it would be to take someone on to start giving yeah. them some of the responsibilities to free you up to then yeah, expand better.
1: Yeah, so my next employee who started in 2004 is still with me now.
0: Oh. All
1: Pascal Azule and all of my managers who are with me now have been working for me for more than ten years. Amazing. So, incredible. So, going to the focus of, of, of this talk and talking about delegation, that I think the kind of, I actually think the beginning in my stage of being able to delegate and to be able to manage a team is actually from having gone. boarding school i think that really helped my process okay because at boarding school you suddenly have to look after yourself and i went when i was 10 and you you go from obviously your family lifestyle and your parents looking after you and suddenly you are i mean mine was a girls' school but you're in a club there's 30 girls and you, you want to start doing stuff for yourself yeah and because it's in a school environment, you're not as micromanaged as you would be at home, yeah, and I also think my traveling and obviously being in South America has made me quite an independent person so and and also practicing quite young in the sense of having had that restaurant when i was twenty one mm. i i've act I've realized straight away the need to recognize one's strengths and weaknesses and to recognize you cannot do it all yeah. and yeah. to delegate. And one of the greatest learnings from Deli Organic, not working, um, was you cannot do everything, yeah. you know? And it's this concept of you as a business owner should be doing the hundred pound or 100 euro or thousand euro jobs per hour yeah you shouldn't be doing the 10 euro hours yes. because there's somebody actually better than you who could do that yeah I I this 10 euros per hour we are talking 20 years ago yeah. but the bookkeeping mm-hmm. right because you are your brand you are the entrepreneur you are the one who's got to be the face you could be making contacts not cross-eyed. Looking at a screen, f- f- filling the books, yeah. right, and that's how I started to sorted. Was as I said, the first couple of years I was still cooking because it was a good base foundation. Sure. So immediately I needed to have somebody to cover the phone when I was cooking. Yeah. So that was my system. Yeah. Then Annabelle joined, and funny enough, she used to be a sherry girl um so it kind of similar hospitality background uh English had been in Ibiza for four or five years um knowing the client base a similar client base in the chalets she came on board and then Pascal coming on board was because he is the night to my day because obviously we are in Ibiza and people go out, and yes. people go out late. Yes. And I do not go out late, <laughs> I am a morning person. And even then, 20 years ago, I'm like, I am not staying up until 3.30 in the morning to handhold somebody in a nightclub. Like, it's just, that is not my strength, you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. Um Pascal has been the night to my day for 16 years, and he is the face of Dilucency Sorted for the night. So And he has a team of two under him. But obviously, restaurant reservations were in Spain, are late. The second sitting is 10 or 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And if you are going to a super club, which our clients do because of the VIP culture, the headline DJ is not coming on until 3.30 in the morning. So wow. his, his life, you know, he's, he's up awake until 6 o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. no yeah so he he is a it's it's kind of recognizing the need and it's also in terms of delegation and in terms of recruiting just always trying i for me i always just try to employ somebody who's better than me yeah at whatever their field is yeah and also in this kind of technology age, and I'm pretty useless at technology. I mean, I'm, I'm actually, I've had to get good at aspects. Mm. But I mean, there is so much to learn in terms of technology and emails and websites and drives and yeah. iClouds, like that whole side, yeah. right? And privacy and data. Mm-hmm. And then there's the whole side of employment and what you can do and social security and etc then there's marketing and social media and then there's being the owner and the relationship with the clients then there's managing the team like you you can't do everything so why not employ people who are better at who are going to make your job easier make your life easier yeah so now I have three heads of departments which is head of villas, head of concierge, head of events. Then Pascal, who's head of nightlife mm-hmm. and uh, and head of finance. So all of those five people have been together with me 10 years or more. That's remarkable. That's um, and I think that... I think it's also because of my background, like I was saying, being independent, the boarding school, the traveling, I don't think I... I definitely don't micromanage too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I like people to get on with it. Yeah. I like people to step up, but I also like my team to know that I'm there. Yeah. And they can come to me at any point. Yeah. And then for them, under them, they have their own teams who they are training, who they are managing. And I'm just like the top of the triangle. hmm and it's it's also structure, you know, just even having that structure in my mind that this is my team and this is the triangle, and this is how it works. It just, the more structure that you can have, especially in a business which is extremely multitasking yeah. because it's events, it's concierge, it's philorental. All encompassing. All encompassing. And you, as you know, you are the owner you need your go-to person to have been able to have strategized kind of revised concluded and come to you with the with the with the kind of proactive solution of whatever needs to move forward or needs to be decided yeah and then it's it's fully functioning we as a as a company we're we're really organized like that. And I would love to actually take all of the credit, but I can't take all of the credit. And something that I am so proud that I invested in is that at the end of 2012, I took on a business coach. Okay. And I really recommend it because in 2012, the, I had a, suddenly had like a... a you know, a significant amount of staff. Um, these areas, obviously, we had been in existence for 10 years. Um, the business was working, but I'd never done a business course. You know, you can't know everything. And I had been talking to a friend of mine who had a similar-sized business, a PR company in London. Right. And him and I would have the same conversations in that how much is on your shoulders. And also we'd have the typical conversation of like, where's my extra kind of hundred grand? You know, yeah. like for all this work. Yeah, yeah. So I my motive for taking on the business coach was for, for sales and numbers and figures and strategies like that. But of course, off of that, team-wise. He shared to me he shared with me a lot of ways to motivate and manage your team that I wouldn't have known.
0: Okay.
1: So there's this brilliant book that I would recommend to any business owner to read called One Minute Manager. And it's it will take you 45 minutes or probably a couple of hours to read. Okay. And it's really good. It teaches you how to it teaches you how important it is to praise right, yeah. employees, as well as how to reprimand sounds very kind of bossy matron, but to you know, you do have to tell people off, of you know. Yeah. Or you have to direct them if they're going the wrong way. Yeah. And things like that. That book is really helpful. It like teaches you that when when you have to have that conversation with someone. First of all, you praise them. You look in their eyes. As you know, you try to. It's helpful to have some physical contact. Obviously, it's tricky these times. But you know, just put your hand reassuringly on their arm and just say, "I value you." Whatever your job title is, you're doing a mm-hmm. great job. However, this could be done. Have been done like this, yeah. or, or, and this was also a really good learning. You say to them. I don't think that was the better way to have approached this mm-hmm. knowing that you're knowing that you know, that I think that what would be the other way you would go about it. So then you just don't immediately give them the answer as well. Yeah. So it's, and then at the end you say, "Thank you know, your time, I hope we both learned from this and then it's, it's really good. And it little things like that were, were extremely helpful as well in, terms of management right um and i think i think in terms of managing and delegation i think all of everything that i've just talked about has created in deliciously sorted this amazing it's hardly corporate we're seven, there's only 17 of us but this amazing company culture mm. The managers have been here for so for so long. It's very kind of family style in a way, but very supportive. And that in this situation, in COVID, mm. and having to have put even them on Airtay, you know, last year in the horrendous months and part-time Airtay and all of the above, and now everyone having to do a bit of everything... Mm-hmm. That kind of foundation is is invaluable. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the glue,
0: it's what's going to get yeah. you through the other side of this to then yeah. grow and expect, climb up from that all over again, yeah. build up again.
1: Yeah, exactly. Amazing, exactly. amazing.
0: Yeah. amazing. So, so yeah. now tell me more. I mean, it, it is. It's, and I'm sure everyone listening is just blown away uh, listening to you. Um, so going back to that book, did it, it kind of broke up for a second. It, did you say Minute Mantra?
1: One Minute
0: Manager. One Minute Manager. Okay, perfect. We'll find it and put a link on the the podcast page as well. So now going back, I mean, it's extraordinary, um, Serena. And it is a lot, you know, majority of credit is to you because everyone's there because of you, because they believe in you, believe in Deliciously Sorted. They're all in. And that's huge, you know, Um, and, and applaud you for everything you've created. It's amazing. So now, obviously, you know, even going back to the restaurant you talked about, your time on the island, your time with your team and your growth and what you've done with Deliciously Sorted. But then from that, the impact it's had on other businesses benefiting locals, benefiting and strengthening their businesses, all of the stuff that's then domino effect for all the good. And then, of course, then tying that in then with your giving back with tell me, uh, tell us all about your preservation, the whole, all of that side of things, your passion towards that.
1: So, so in 2008, I co-founded the Ibiza Preservation Foundation, which is, it actually covers Forman as well. Right. Um, and. Ever since I began the company and in those early years, I was very aware of Ibiza suddenly becoming this destination, not just for our clients, but for other clients. And this small Mediterranean uh, island suddenly having this kind of onslaught of tourism. And because it is so amazing and so beautiful and so heavenly, more and more people coming and just thinking, what can I give back? back to this island that I so love that has a readable lifestyle but also what can I do to encourage its sustainability and Ibiza like the Balearics is particularly beautiful as as you know well from Mallorca I mean just breathtaking Mm -hmm. and more beautiful than mainland Spain in the sense that you know sometimes you could compare mainland Spain a bit to a burnt piece of toast in the development that sixties development of of the coastline, and it yeah. was like, "Wow, these coastlines of of course there's buildings, of course there's hotels, but it, a lot of people on their first time are like, "Wow, it is so beautiful. You can't believe you know a beef of the reputation as nightlife, so everyone thinks that it's just gonna be like one downtown." of club scene but it's not it's rolling hills and beautiful bays and crystal waters so it was like how can we encourage the sustainability so with two friends one whose grandmother has had a house here since the 50s one again my life in entwined with this family but ben goldsmith who's the brother of zach who i did the organic restaurant he came to ibiza um for a for a stag weekend and he was the same because his family have a property in Spain he was like this is so beautiful and didn't participate in the stag weekend very much and was like more like looking at the kind of the bird life and the sea you you know like it was really enchanted by it all yeah yeah so the three of us literally over a beer were like what can we do let's let's found something and We thought naively that we could, I thought I could send an email to my database and my database at the time was, I mean, it was literally like 3,000 people, um, clients who loved Ibiza and that I could write to them and they would donate. Mm -hmm. And I also thought, being the Ibiza link, I can ask the Ibifenkans who we work with, who have the hotels, who have the car hire company to sit on the committee. And, and obviously, uh, Ben and Will, the co-founders, thought we could do the same and we would get somebody to manage the fund. I mean, we were so naive. Like, number one, trying to raise money for the environment in 2008 was, it's, nowadays is completely different. But then, you, you're trying to raise money for the environment in beta, it's just too broad and too vague. and. Right it's much easier to rent to raise money if it's something tangible. Yeah. And then, in those days, it's much easier to, to raise money. You know, if you, if you have a choice of raising money for teenage cancer or preserving the sustainability of Ibiza, back then there wasn't the awareness. Mm. And, and obviously, so it was hard to raise money. And the Ibithenkans were like, we had to prove ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, we yeah. were young, we were young and we were English and we were not from Ibiza. Mm-hmm. And is this going to last? Is this like a, you know what I mean? A kind of fad thing that's going to be in a
0: few years and that's it. Yeah. yeah. Cause yeah. it's kind of too much hard work.
1: Mm-hmm. So we learned, A lot during those early years, and I think it was basically until we did good things and we raised money. And there were at the beginning we used to raise money for loads of different little causes, and now with experience, we've decided to focus on four main areas. I mean, I think the first couple of years it was about thirty different projects, like form and terror black pigs, let's reintroduce them and let's do this with the almond trees and this with the organic farming, because there is so much to do, right? Mm -hmm. So we also went through um, a, a few of our executive directors until we got the right fit. We also put together a steering committee, which was at the beginning actually was foreigners because we had to prove ourselves. And basically, thank God, in 2012, we met our current executive director who's called Sandra Bebinest, and she's from Barcelona, but she spent her summers here in Ibiza, and she's extraordinary. She has an encyclopedic knowledge of the environmental issues of Ibiza, but she's also amazing at managing the NGOs who we support and the kind of slightly kind of capitalists who are some of us on the steering committee. You know, we were yeah. coming, we were approaching it slightly like a business. Yeah. And the NGOs, you know, she's, she's got to do a lot of kind of diplomacy, but she's she also has great foresight and the game changer for us with the Ibiza Preservation Foundation was in 2012 oil prospecting was threatened to take place off the coast between Valencia and Ibiza 30 kilometers so you would have been able to see it from the southwest of Ibiza and Spain at the time, it was 2012, so there'd been that horrendous recession 2008-2009, had sold the rights to various companies to prospect for oil in Spanish waters. And if you prospect for oil and gas, um, it's basically deep sea and its explosions, which emits sounds. So that is terrible for um For fish in general, for fishing, for whales, for tuna, their their paths, their migration paths, mm. quality of fish, quality of waters. If something goes wrong and there's a leak, all of that, yeah. So Sandra totally came to us, the founders and the steering committee, and was like, "We need to get organised. We need to stop this." Wow. And it had actually happened in the Canaries because they were the first place, and they didn't have time to organize themselves. So we managed to get all the stakeholders in Ibiza who normally wouldn't set, sit at the same table. So the environmentalists at the same, ta- at the same table as the pasture owners, the hotel open owners, the kind of builders, because everyone would be threatened yeah. because the sea is our precious asset. Absolutely. We are. Yeah. So long and the short, we managed to stop it. Amazing. And since then, the respect that we have from the local community, we are just, we are fully a part of Ibiza culture. And people come to us if, you know, they'll want our advice, someone wanted to build on an island where, um, which is protected, and then we're trying to get permission, and that would disturb the Balearic shearwater, which is a particular bird and it's a breeding ground. We can help them stop it, and we have put together initiatives like Plastic Free so that hotels and restaurants get a star rating for the plastics that they stop using. We put together something called Local Produce, which is encouraging organic farming and local and sustainability and providing the connection between the farmers, the restaurants, the private chefs. We've created an observatory, a sustainability observatory, so we can get readings on how bad the water tablet is or how good or how much solar power is being used or not or where there's a sewage issue. And... We and then that, those are the three main, three of the four main projects, and the fourth is Posidonia, which is this incredible seaweed in our waters, which is why the water is so clear. Um, they're called the lungs of of the ocean, and and we here we are today, and we are twelve going into our thirteenth year, and we've raised over one point five million euros with local partners wow. for the sustainability of Ibiza and Formentera. Incredible.
0: Absolutely incredible. Wow. I mean, Serena Cook, you are an amazing woman. (laughs) You know that. Uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing hearing all of this. And wow, I mean, Ibiza as an island, you know, had no idea, you know, until they got uh, the island had you and it kept on held on to you because clearly it knows what an invaluable asset you are and everything you have created and the difference you have made in Probably so many, not just obviously the island and you know the, the life of individuals and businesses and companies. I mean, you're a mover and a shaker and a trailblazer, quite frankly, um, it's admirable. It really is. So, wow. I think, I mean, amazing. Thank you so much for your time today and for sharing everything that you have. I think you are going to, this is our season one finale. So I think we're going out on a huge high. I think everyone is going to be very motivated, very inspired um, by you to be able to go away and Put all of that energy into their own lives both personally and professionally wishing (laughs) you a really good and busy and successful summer ahead despite navigating covid but we just keep pushing forward in all the ways
1: and thank you oh thank you so much i've so enjoyed it and yeah just a last comment to everyone listening Mm. of course everybody is so affected by what we're living in but as you said you just got to keep pushing and never say no. You know determination. Yeah. Like you can overcome anything with everything. With,
0: yeah, yeah. The right so there you go. Thank yeah. you, Serena. Take care. Thank you. Thank, you. Thank you. So I hope you all enjoyed that just as much as I did and have taken a lot away from it. One uh, inspiring woman. Really. Uh, yeah. Amazing. So that's it for today. Um, I hope you uh, have a great next few weeks. This is the finale episode of season one. So we're wrapping it up here. Um, there'll be the trailer for season two coming next four, in the next fortnight. And then we'll be back on the 4th of March with a very exciting uh, season two ahead with even more incredible women in business guests. Um, I'll be covering even more bold and um, interesting topics, shining the light on even more matters and topics that matter, you know, topics that matter even more than ever before. And um, yeah, in the meantime, making sure you all kind of keep your ducks in a row and uh, yeah, self-care is the priority always and remembering that and really recognizing that and, you know, recognizing, you know, from today's episode or indeed from any of the other episodes that we've, you know, and topics we've covered so far this season, you um, May they really help you to, uh, you know, may they, you sit with pen and paper and, and start to make the changes that you need to be able to move your business forward in all the right ways, navigating through this time in this very bizarre time that we're living in and world that we're in, that you can keep strengthening your business, strengthening yourself, um, you know, making the right next decisions and uh, anticipating your next few moves ahead to be um, able to continue growing and bettering yourself and your business in all the ways. So I hope you've enjoyed it. As always, please do um, pop a rating at the end, pop onto Apple and podcasts and you scroll right to the bottom and you'll see where you can put the st- mark the stars Um, and if you have time to do a review as well would be amazing and that all is very much appreciated and just helps uh, the podcast get seen that much more by people who need to hear it and thank you for all your support throughout the amazing uh, throughout the whole season your support has been just tremendous the feedback I've had the messages I've had and um, uh, yeah thank you for being on this journey this podcast journey with me and I'm loving it I'm really enjoying it I'm really enjoying the time to sit and to 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 share with you to just um you know to bring guests on on who can share you know women who inspire me massively and for them to then share with you uh you know their walk and recognizing um you know recognizing those little points of things that really resonate with you and you know seeing the similarities and that we all go through those same pitfalls and those same struggles but a lot of the time we just don't talk about it and and we need to talk and now oh my goodness more than ever we need to be talking about it and shining light on these things and recognizing you know learning how to deal with things you know from people who have already done so and how to um apply and uh different things into your own life personally and professionally uh to be able to help you and strengthen you and support you um through uh you know everyday life and business and of course my cookbook the mind We Winnow cookbook it's on amazon it's the perfect gift for mother's day so get ordering a copy for your mum or for any women in your life who have children, so, you know, sisters and friends and girlfriends, and just, um, yeah, be sure to to get your order in and send a copy to, to the person you love because they will thoroughly enjoy it, especially on lockdown right now. All of my recipes are so perfect for nourishing your body, all refined sugar-free, all super healthy, but also, good comforting curries and ramens and yumminess um, as well as delicious salads and obviously plant-based desserts and breakfast juices and everything else. It's all encompassing and then obviously I share my my Muiru no philosophy, my core values and a lot of my journey in there as well. So to make it much more than a cookbook, you know, for me it's a a guide for good living. It's, uh, you know, to give you all all of the happiness and to help you make those changes to really live a better quality of life through food and people and the decisions you make. So that's it, everyone. I am wishing you a great next few weeks and I will see you back again properly for the March. Take care. Keep well. Look after yourselves. And as always, make sure all your ducks are always in a row.